Okay, Psalm 20, it is a Psalm of David, verses 1 to 5. Go ahead. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our families. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Say, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. Amen. Amen. For the choir director. Well, let's, if you haven't done so, take your Bible and open to Psalm 20. And the joy is mine to preach this short little psalm, a prayer for the king before a battle. A prayer for the king before a battle. We just read it out loud together, so let's pray and ask for the Lord to guide and direct our study. We believe, O Lord, with all of our hearts that it is your word that is living and active. It is true and reliable and faithful. It is the fear of the Lord that gives joy to our hearts. It is your word that has saved us. It is your word that sanctifies us. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would illumine our hearts so that we would know you, that we would understand the word rightly, that we would behold Christ in his kingly beauty, and that we would give thanks that we are on the winning side because Christ will triumph over all. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, I want you to think with me for a moment about your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me about the royal and the divine and the Davidic and the messianic king that he is. Think of how godly and upright and perfect and holy he was every day of his life. Ponder how infinitely glorious, how holy, sovereign, and yet near and relational your God is. In his earthly life, he was surrounded by constant trouble, and he received divine help from his own God and his own Father. Ponder how Jesus, your Savior, offered himself up to God as the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the atoning offering to bring you to God. He prayed to the Father, 
He prayed to the Father throughout his life. And God heard and God answered Christ's prayers and God heard from his holy heaven. Indeed, one day we know that all of Christ's enemies will bow down and they will fall beneath his feet and they will all declare that Jesus is Lord. Isaiah 45, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. And your Savior faced trials. He faced affliction and hardship and, and battles. And, and of course, the ultimate war he faced was war against sin and war against Satan. And guess what? He won. Our Savior won. He trusted in God. He prayed to God. He obeyed his God. He lived before God. He endured before God and by the power of the Spirit. And he did all of that faithfully as the messianic, triumphant, conquering king. In Jesus Christ, we have the perfect divine warrior king. The perfect divine warrior king. And I give you that by way of introduction because I'm going to come back to that all throughout the study here in Psalm 20. But go back with me, rewind, as it were, from the time of Christ about a thousand years back to the time of King David. King David is the king over the people of Israel and he is the king was going out to battle on one occasion. And as he was called and summoned to lead the people out to battle, he prayed as the king to God. And he worshipped God, and he made sacrifices to God. He trusted in God. He led the people in worship to God. And while he was in the temple leading in worship, it was the Israelite worshipers that had gathered in the temple that prayed for him to have victory. They prayed for him. Oh God, give our king the victory. They prayed for him. They sought God's victory for him. Why? Because the people of Israel knew that their victory was bound to his. If the king lost, well, they would surely lose. But if their king triumphed, they would triumph in him. And that brings us to Psalms 20 and 21. Tonight is really part one. Next week will be part two. They are two separate psalms, but they really go together because they are back to back in the Psalter. And I'll put up like this for you. You have it in your outline. Psalm 20 is a prayer before the king goes out to battle. Oh, Lord, you've got to deliver our king. Give him the victory, oh, Lord. We beg you to give the victory. Next week, when we come to Psalm 21, it's praising God after God gives the victory in the battle. So this is before the battle. Next week in Psalm 21, we'll be praising God for the victory after the battle. And then, amazingly enough, check out how Ezra probably put the Psalms together. Psalms 20 and 21, the kingship of Christ. More on that in a little bit. Psalms 22 to 24 are all messianic Psalms as well. 
So for the next five weeks, Psalms 20 to 24, we are going to see all of these wonderful truths that will point us to the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, as the warrior and the great Savior. Now, Psalm 20 is a great prayer, and maybe the theme of this psalm is trusting in the name of God. Do you see it in verse 1? May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you on high. And then you see verse 5. We will sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. And then verse 7, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name. Why name? What's the big deal? We don't talk like that. You know, I'm of the family of the name of Kirkland. What, what, what does that mean? The name of Jeff. Well, what does that mean? Well, in biblical times, names are important because they represent the person and their character. So the name of God, as we're going to see here in our psalm, is Yahweh, representing his essential being, his perfect character, in a number of ways. And you see it there in your outline. Number one, the name of God, Yahweh, teaches us that he is unique. God is unique. There is none like our God. When we talk about the name of God, not only is he unique, but he's covenantal. He makes a covenant promise, and he's the one who keeps his covenant promise. He is a covenantal God. He makes covenants, and he never breaks them. Third, when we talk about the name of God, that also means that God is faithful. God is faithful. He never lies. He can never, ever go back on his word. And when we refer to the name of God, the name of Yahweh, fourth, he's eternal. He is existing. Yahweh means the eternal one. Without beginning and without end, he always exists and forever. The name of Yahweh also teaches, number five, that he's a very personal God. He is relational. He is a God who not only is a, is a far majestic holy one, but he wants to have relationship with his people. Psalm 20 is a battle song trusting in the name of the Lord. We trust in our God. We know he's unique. We know he's covenantal. We know he's faithful. We know he's eternal. We know our God is personal. And for that reason, the congregation of worshipers are praying to God for their king as he goes out to battle. And every commentator agrees, every commentator agrees that there are different ways in which, there are different ways in which this psalm divides. Different ways in which this psalm divides. There is a responsive reading. Hold on. Okay, there is a responsive reading and a responsive chant throughout the song. And so in Psalm 20, it begins with the congregation of worshipers who have gathered in the temple, and they are calling out to God to give victory to their king, and then there's a response, a response from the 
temple leader, the worship leader, maybe the priest or the Levite or the choir director, and then the congregation ends with the corporate prayer at the end. So you see it there in the outline. I try to, at least a little bit, by way of outlining the psalm, show you how this would have looked. Number one, you see it in your outline, the congregation. This is the congregation's part. God will strengthen you. They're praying to God and speaking, really, to the king as well. God will strengthen you. Do you see it there? In verses 1 to 4. Do you see in your English Bible all the word may, 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 may? May the Lord answer you. End of verse 1, may the name of the God. Verse 2, may he send you help. Verse 3, may he remember. Verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire. At the end of verse 5, may the Lord fulfill your petitions. And then again in verse 9, may the king answer us. All these prayers, may God do this for you. This is the people's petition for the king's victory. It's, It's actually a prayer. More of a spoken blessing to the king himself. It kind of reminds me of 1 Samuel 17 when David was going to go fight that tall Goliath. Monster of a Philistine man he was. David was going to go fight big Goliath and Saul, the king, said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. It's kind of like that. May the Lord be with you. May, May God give you the victory. Well, that's what the congregation is doing is they're praying for their king. Let's just look very briefly. How do they pray for their leader? How do they pray for their king? Verse one, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Oh, this this is a day of war. It's a day of battle. It's a day of trouble. The word for trouble means it's it's a squeezing. You're going to be pressed in from all sides. You're you're going to feel you're going to feel completely engulfed in trial. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Why at that time you wanted to be in a high unassailable fortification for for safety. May God set you high in safety. Verse 2, may God send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. What that means, this is the people saying in the temple or in the tabernacle. May God from the holy of holies give you his power. May God come in the fullness of who he is in Zion from the sanctuary and help you as you go to battle. We want God to give you strength. Verse 3, may God remember all of your meal offerings and may God find your burnt offerings acceptable. Evidently, David had a part to play in the sacrifices. More on that in a little bit. In verse 4, then they pray, may God grant you your heart's desire and may he fulfill all of your counsel. They acknowledge that the king is leading them, but the fulfillment of all of David's plans is ultimately in God's hands. Now, let's pause real quick. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine you're there 3,000 years ago? You're in Jerusalem and the tabernacle is there. David is the king. 
And he's writing this song. He's about to go out to battle. And all of the people are there in the Jerusalem area. And there's this loud corporate prayer and petition to God on behalf of the king before he goes to battle. Can, can you hear it? Can you imagine what it would have been like in the blue sky of that Jerusalem day? Maybe there's a number of points that you and I could just pause and apply real quick. We ought to pray for our governing authorities. Number two, by way of application, you and I ought to pray for our local church shepherds. Number three, you and I ought to pray for fellow believers who are engaged in fierce battles and temptations and struggles. Number four, you and I ought to pray for divine strength to assist one another in living the Christian life against a very fierce monster of an enemy. Number five, you and I ought to pray for a settled and singular trust and devotion to Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would never rely on our worldly resources, but only on God. And you and I ought to pray for constant, fervent prayers among God's people. May we be like this nation, calling out to God in times of great trial. In those application points, think of where you can grow. Think of where you can implement these. Praying for the governing authorities, praying for your local church shepherds, praying for fellow believers in the church, praying to assist one another in living the Christian life, praying for a singular devotion to Christ, praying that we would have fervent prayers among God's people as we fight the spiritual battle together. Think of where you and I can grow. Well, that's how the nation prays for their king. But now in your outline, look at how the psalm continues in verses five and following. And one of the reasons why all the commentators agree that you've got different singers at this point is because the pronouns change. Remember back to your English class, the pronouns change. They go from the singular to the plural. Why? Well, look at verse 5. We will sing for joy over your victory. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will hear him and answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. This is... The response, probably from a Levite, maybe a priest, maybe the choir director, or maybe a number of Levites together who are responding in worship. Verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. In the Hebrew, it's a little different. We will sing for joy in your salvation. Interesting. They have a confidence in their king. How much more can we have a confidence in our heavenly king? Let us rejoice in God's salvation. It's almost as if we are completely hemmed in and fenced in and enclosed and encircled by God as he accomplishes salvation for us. They believed in their human king to help them with God's help, 
you and I trust in our divine king. And verse 5, look at this. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. It's kind of a rare phrase. It occurs in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. It's when the man is absolutely overwhelmed with the beauty of his new bride on the wedding night. And in Song of Solomon 6, 4, she, he says, she, the Shulamite, is as beautiful as an army who is coming with all of their banners held high. In unison, together, held high, strength. Do we lift high and magnify and boast in Christ just like Solomon did the Shulamite? Do we boast in the name of our God, verse 5, and say, I will set up my banner. I'm going to lift it high for all to see. God is the one who satisfies God is the one who gives me joy. God is the one who gives me salvation. God is the one who is worthy of of our boasting. Verse 6, now I know. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. God will answer him from his holy heaven. Isn't, Isn't that a great response from the leader? We know that God will hear from his holy heaven. You can open up God's word and pray this. Lord, I know that you will hear from your holy heaven. And with the saving strength of your right hand, you will come to our aid. You will not leave us defenseless. God is the one who does come to our aid and he satisfies. Well then... Look at verses 7 and following. Now, in your outline, the congregation responds again. Verse 7, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but, but as for us, we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. You, you've heard that before, right? Some boast in horses and chariots, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Keep your finger here just real quick. Go to Psalm 33. We'll get there. In a couple of months, but just real quick, there's such a great cross-reference. Psalm 33, look at verse 16. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse, verse 17, is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Don't hope in horses. Don't hope in chariots. Don't hope in your mighty army. Don't hope in your great strength. That's what Psalm 20 said. The congregation is acknowledging, you know what? The nation that our king is going to battle, yeah, they trust in their military weaponry, their spears, their shields, their armor, all their weapons. They boast in their horses and their chariots and their wealth. But as for us, we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Now, okay, 
you and I aren't tempted to trust in horses and chariots today. But many are tempted to trust in money, power, control, comfort, identity, status, medicine, education, politics, military, economics, psychology, professionals, technological advances. On and on we could go with what people might be tempted to to lean on for comfort and reliance. No, no, no. We're not going to boast in any of those things. We're not going to trust in any of that. If you look at the end of verse 7, there's a really interesting feature that I want to bring out. We will boast. There's a Hebrew word for boast, but the word that's used here isn't the word for boast, usually. It's the word remember. Oh, there's some who boast in their horses and their chariots, but we will remember. You know what that means? That means we are those who must bring to mind the character of God and the past deliverances of God to help us in our present troubles that we're going through. What does that mean? We need to engage our mind in our prayer. So when we're worried, we're fearful, and we're anxious, and there's an important situation going on, we have to remember our God. Now, boast might be a legitimate synonym, might be a legitimate translation, but most literally it's we will remember. Do you remember what God said to the kings in Deuteronomy chapter 17 through Moses? That when you're a king, you shall not multiply three things. Remember this? You can't multiply horses, you can't multiply wives, and you can't multiply gold. Because if you do, your heart will be tempted to be lured away from God and to trust in those things. I like to call it, don't trust in the gallops, don't trust in the girls, and don't trust in the gold. You can't trust in that. You have to trust in the Lord. I wonder if that's why Jesus in Luke chapter 14 said, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. That doesn't mean you have to go and sell everything. It means you need to be willing to part with everything because you're not leaning and relying on anything, but only on Christ. It's the same thing in Psalm 20, what Jesus was saying. Now, go back to Psalm 20 because I want to bring out verse 8, and there's an important truth here that we need to see in verse 8. As they are responding, as they are praising God and praying to God, verse 8, they have bowed down and fallen. That is our enemies. But we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day that we call. They have bowed down and fallen. That's interesting. Those who trust in themselves and in their own might will bow low and they will fall, not only in battle, 
But in that final day of judgment before the great judge, they will surely bow in homage before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Philippians chapter 2 says. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They have bowed and they have fallen down. They are defeated. One day the enemies will be defeated beneath the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 is just a final prayer. Save, O Lord, save. We know the king, probably the heavenly king, will answer us in the day that we call. Ponder with me, Jesus, again. He's the ultimate Messiah. He's the ultimate king. Psalm 20, yes, is written by David. It's about David when he was going to go to battle. But yet it points us to the greater David, the greater anointed one, the true Messiah who will go to battle and yet he won the victory when we could do nothing to achieve it. It's kind of like, We are seated with our champion king in the heavenly places, safe and secure. Revelation 1 tells us that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And God put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. It's an amazing, it's an amazing psalm, Psalm 20, where it is the nation praying for the king and praying for his victory. But it's, it's unique because we learn a couple of things. So let me just mention this briefly. We learn about the situation of religion in the temple or the tabernacle in David's time. The psalm gives the interesting interaction between king and people and Levitical priests or maybe the choir director and how there's an interplay and maybe a going back and forth in antiphony, responding to one another in worship in the tabernacle courts. We also learn from this psalm about sacrifices. You say, well, David, David wasn't a priest. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. How could he offer sacrifices? Well, we know that kings on many occasions offered sacrifices and sought help from God. Saul did it, 1 Samuel 13. David did it, 2 Samuel 6. Solomon did it, 1 Kings 3. Ahab, Jeroboam, Jehoshaphat did He was offering sacrifices according to what God commanded the people of Israel to do. There's also messianic overtones. David is the author, but there's parallels to the greater king, the greater Messiah who would come. So, Jesus is our Messiah King, the ultimate triumphant warrior king. 
The people prayed to their king. They trusted in their king. They looked to their king. They stood with their king. How much more should you and I look to our king and stand with our king? I love the way theologians often talk about Jesus in one of his descriptions in the Psalms. He is the warrior king. The warrior king. He will crush all of his enemies. He will reign forever and ever. That's important to hear in the providential timing of our God. Because you don't have to, and please don't, watch much of the news on TV before you hear all kinds of rumors of wars and rumors of wars. And if you stay in that for very long, you're going to begin to swirl in your mind thinking, oh no, what is our world coming to? Is there any hope? And you're going, to, you're going to feel defeated and you're going to be discouraged and you're going to wonder what to do. And yet Psalm 20 is such a timely reminder that we serve the triumphant warrior king. That's why Revelation 1.5 calls Jesus, one of, one of these great phrases, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is the ruler over. Over the kings of the earth. He will win. He will defeat his enemies. He will destroy all who reject him. Luke 1.33, his kingdom will have no end. So I, I think we ought to lift high our banner for Christ. We ought to lift up our banner for Christ, just like the nation said right here in Verse 5, in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We're going to lift up our banner and we're going to magnify and boast in the beauty of our God. And verse 7 is true. There's a lot of people around us that boast in their weaponry, power, status, position, finances, comforts of this world. No, no, no. No, no, no. But as for us, we will trust. We will remember. We will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Real quick, before we close. Just like Israel's victory and their hope was bound up with their king. That's why they prayed for him. Their hope and their victory was bound up with their king. So for you and for me, all of our victory and all of our hope is bound up with Christ. And guess what? He won. He won. It's established. The victory is firm, fixed, undefeatable, indomitable. It is certain. And he will soon crush Satan. Under your feet, Romans 16 says. This is our great Savior. It's an amazing song, amazing psalm, that is the Jewish people's prayer for their king before the battle. When we come back next week, we're going to see part two. Well, what happened And Psalm 21 is going to scream at us with joyful chants, God 
gave the victory. God gave the victory. Praise God that we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We say that, Lord, so often, and each time we study the word, thank you for it, and and it's true. Thank you. Thank you that we don't have to believe in our own hearts and follow our own hearts and follow the things of this world, but we look to you. We boast in the name of the Lord our God. The enemies will bow down and they will fall at the feet of Christ. But we have risen. We stand upright in the victory and in the triumph of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.